0: hello and welcome to recapping with delora and ashley please follow us on instagram facebook and twitter at recapping podcast
1: also rate review and subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform
0: we're on all the things we want to hear your thoughts on the movies and shows we review
1: leave us a comment on apple Podcasts or our youtube
0: channel and we will read them during the show Or reach out to us on social media. We love talking all things entertainment and pop culture with you. Thank
1: you guys so much for listening. Thank you.
0: Ashley. Hello, darling. How are you? I am beyond excited. We have another In Conversation. It's been a while. It
1: has. It's been too long. I'm glad to be back talking with some industry insiders,
0: as you always say. Absolutely. And we have the privilege of having Nicole Welch, a production manager, with us today. I We always talk about our zodiac signs, and I'm a cancer, so I can either be really moody or really excited, and so right now, I'm like bubbling over. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Nicole and I went to high school together, and she has since (laughs) went on. We're both alum of Central Michigan University, and she has been working as a phenomenal freelance production manager. So, Nicole, welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you all for having me.
1: Thank you for coming on. We appreciate it.
0: Please walk us and our listeners through the highlights of your journey thus far from being a drum major in <laughs> Southfield Lathrop's marching band to oh. a thriving production manager in Hollywood.
2: Okay. Okay. I'm a, I'm going to try to do it like it's a lot, y'all. It's a lie. It's a journey. Okay. So from Southfield Lathrop being a drum major, I, that was an amazing, let me, let me tell you something, Delora. At Lathrop, I honestly... I hated going to school beyond band and art classes. I hated it, you know, Um, and science. I I did enjoy science. We had a phenomenal
0: uh, fine arts program at our school. We did.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like it was one of the best in, for sure, in the state. I mean, our our band itself would go on to continue playing like at the White House, at Carnegie Hall, all those kinds of places. So from Southfield, Lathrop, where I honestly did not know if I was going to graduate high school, I went on to Central Michigan University. Um, I did not continue in the band, but I grew up in a household where my mother, she was on radio and TV for well over 25 years in the city of Detroit. And I would like go to work with her, those kinds of things. There were people in school who would be like, oh, your mom is like the Detroit Oprah. And I'm like, okay, y'all are doing the most, but- um, When I would go to her television set, she had a TV show that came on once a week on Wednesdays. I would sit in the production room with her producer who was... And they're like cueing all the cameras and all that kind of stuff, writing the story and scripts and those kinds of things. And I just became fascinated with that. And from there, once I got to Central Michigan University, I made the decision to join the radio program as well as start working on their News Central show that came on. I want to say it came on every day of the week, but they would have like news anchors and reporters, that kind of stuff um, in the local area. And I ended up auditioning to become, I wanted to just be like an entertainment reporter. I just wanted to focus on music and just like fun things in the industry versus like the sadder things um, in the news. But when I did that audition, the teacher who was over it was actually like, would you want to try out to be the news anchor or one of the news anchors? And I was like, okay, fine, I'll give it a try, like whatever. I ended up becoming a news anchor on News Central 25 or 35, something like that, News Central. Um, And that continued on throughout the rest of my time at Central Michigan. Um, I also got an NBC, an internship at an NBC affiliate in Flint, which continued to help me hone being a news reporter and a news anchor, which was my focus then. But it was also in that internship where I learned news, local news wasn't for me. Local news wasn't for me. It was too sad. The stories they had me covering, I was just like, I can't, I can't go home thinking about these types of of stories. It was about an aunt and a child and the child is no longer alive because of this person. Oh
0: my. And that
2: was the last story that I, and like, I was sitting in the room when the jury and the judge were trying to make a decision on like, what was going to happen to this person while the family is sitting there as well, crying because this person is now going to prison or whatever is about to happen. But also this, this child is now gone as well. And I was like, I can't, carry these heavy things coming home. So from there, um, I graduated from Central. Um, My mom had a friend who was building a community affairs show in the city of Detroit. It was called Inside the City TV, and they were looking for a female host. And I was like, okay, this is a little more up my alley. I'll give it a try. They're just trying to interview like local people or like artists if they come to town, that kind of thing. And my main goal at that time, I had a big fascination with Monica, the singer. Yes. Who, dearly. Mm -hmm. Big fast with her, and I wanted to interview her. And I was like, okay, let's do it. I want to give it a try, and I really want to interview Monica. I would say maybe about three months, three or four months into working with them and being their female, like on camera host, I got that interview. Of tears, prayers,
0: manifestation. Okay, yeah,
2: Yeah. I got that interview and it went so well. She was amazing to work with, and that bug just kind of continued to stay with me with working in the industry. I then started going to Spex Howard in Michigan, it was a trade school that was so actually, yeah, it was a trade school that only focused on radio and TV. Mm -hmm. Um, at Central, I graduated with a degree in cinematic arts. And I did have the experience of news, but they didn't really do things that were more like film focus. And so mm. at um, Spex Howard, which was only an eight month program, and I'm so glad I did it. I am so glad I did it. I'm grateful for my experience at Central. It helped me in some facets but Spex Howard, within the first week, you were already doing things on the radio. You were already cutting things. You were already doing things like in the film studio, mm-hmm. picking up the cameras, Like you were already getting that hands-on experience. Um, and so I did that eight-month program at Spex Howard. And after I finished it, I got an internship at BET. And I was Ooh. offered that internship in New York. At the same time, I was offered a position to be like a host of, or not a host, but you know, how some companies have people who do a video and it's saying like, all oh, their safety things and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, they were like, either I can get that paid position that had all of the benefits and everything you could want, or I could go to this unpaid internship in New York where I knew no one, where I had no money beyond Oh, unpaid. I, unpaid.
1: That's a big unpaid. caveat in that. <laughs> no.
2: No house, didn't know anyone, had only been to New York to see a play once and then came back in like 24 hours. And my both of my brothers were like, go to New York, do it. You will figure it out. And if not, you can always come back home. Mm. So I took that leap. I went to New York. I think I had maybe like four or $500. Mm. Uh, and my brother was there at the time, literally for only 24 hours. He was like, you could stay on my friend's couch, just pay him like $400 a month. So there goes when I got $100 now. So <laughs> just stay on his couch. You'll work it out. My brother was working on a show called Jersey Licious at the time. Mm-hmm. They were, they were wrapping that show up and he was working in the art department. And he was like, come and let me introduce you to a couple of my producers and be a PA, a production assistant for us and help us just like clean up the set. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. In doing that, I met one of the producers. And she was like, I'm about to start on a new show. My brother was leaving the, literally the next day. And she was like, I'm starting a new show. Would love to bring you on to it as an assistant, which I was like, okay, well, let me see if BAT can push my internship a little bit so I can do this job. So I ended up doing that job. I forgot the name of, it was like a modeling show that actually started doing well, it was for the Eat Network. But that was my first like production assistant job, my first introduction to what it was like to work on a set. And I fell in love with it. I mean, I learned a lot about the egos and all that kind of stuff. The egos. Oh,
0: yeah. All that kind of stuff. I can only imagine. But
2: yeah. But from there, I finally got the internship started. I'm not even going to lie to y'all. I don't know if this person is still working at BET today, but she forgot I was coming. So I was just sitting in in their lobby for about four or five hours. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But it was okay. Once I got in there finish that job once I got into the internship and also getting that job helped me get more money so that I could stay and fund myself sleeping on this person's couch where the plastic was sticking to the side. <laughs> oh <my. laughs> plastic and the leather sticking to the side of my face. Uh, yeah. So I did the internship at BET where I did like behind the scenes things for like 106 and Park and for their digital content when they like digital content was starting to get more popular. Was Bow Wow hosting um, at that point? Bow Wow was not hosting at that point.
1: Was it he, Terrence?
2: It was still Terrence. And Roxy. Um, and Roxy. Yep. Mm. yep. And I remember when they were going to change it from Terrence and Roxy to, I feel like there was a competition that was going on. Because I remember there was someone from Detroit that used to work on the radio. And she was one of the people. Who, it may have been. Uh, yeah. It's been but, so
1: long, but it was such a staple. I know
2: yeah it's has we so used hard. to watch so exactly exactly and I was so grateful to work in the behind the scenes versus actually working on 106 and Park because I could move around a little bit more I could function mm. a little bit more just within the studio and everything but my time at BET was cool it was it was interesting it was fun I learned a lot met a lot of people got to interview Monica two more times um so you know my like Wonderful. that was a so cool. y'all besties at this like point. what do I do like, I exactly. I like exactly what do I even do anymore so from there, I started, I left the internship and started working on more reality shows. As a production assistant, I did like La La School, Court Life. I did a show called Starter Wives. And those shows, I kind of learned I did not want to do the relationship type of reality shows. Mm. Those are, it's a lot. It's a lot. of. It's, it's a lot. It's drama. Because you're, you're managing of... the
1: personalities of all the individuals who are showing up in you their are. various states.
2: Well, you are. And in the, in those moments, I was a production assistant, which I feel like everyone in the industry definitely will start as a production assistant. And I feel like that's always going to be a position that anyone can always do, because that is the best way to get to meet people. And you get to be a part of each and every single piece of the production that is coming together. So you're being able to be around the producers, the director, you're around post um, you're around the camera team, the lighting team, like all that kind of stuff. You're learning so many different facets of the industry versus just sticking with one one thing. From there, I got to this show called I I was working under a production manager that was that got a job for a show called Hotel Impossible. And that's kind of where my career just took off, mm. um, brought me on as an associate producer slash coordinator. Is that um, like
0: on a and E? I I believe?
2: It was on the travel channel. The travel. Yeah. So actually she brought me on as a PA one time. And from there, they hired me as an associate producer slash coordinator, which then turned to just coordinator. And I did that show for about five or six seasons where I honed my skills in production management, which is what I fell in love with. That was where I figured out like, okay, in this industry, this is where I know I wanna be. This is what I know I can do and I do it well.
1: What do you think it is that continued to propel you from job to job? Was it the relationships you built that Mm -hmm. made people think, oh, she's a great hard worker? Like, what was it that you felt like was the secret sauce for you to continue to have momentum
2: in your career as Mm -hmm. you were moving through these jobs? I think it was just the thrill of it. To be honest with you, I really enjoy seeing the way something can start from nothing to just blossom into something just beautiful and just seeing how everyone can come together to make one thing. Like It, it makes sense to me now why teachers would do assignments where everyone has to do something together because in production, that is what you do. Every single day. There is not one production that you can do without the help of one other person doing something. The camera team can't film something if the production management team isn't getting the gear from a gear house, making sure that it's there, making sure that there's uh, an assistant camera there to check that gear out to make sure that it's working. And the post team isn't going to be able to get. All the footage without the camera team, you know, shooting that without having a media manager that's coming at lunchtime to come and get the media and get that media to the post team to make sure they can do it. And the the producers and the network aren't going to be able to get all of this stuff without everything that's happening, you know, before that. So I think it was just the thrill of all of that happening
1: when you found yourself kind of in your first gig, your second gig, was it okay. relationships with people who you were working on that continued to pull you with them to another project? Were you applying to these other projects? Kind of how was the process of moving from one production to another?
0: Was it gotcha. the skills that you were, you were building to build and strengthening? Because okay. from my vantage point, have mm-hmm. been a part of the marching band <laughs> that you led. Project management and leadership are some of the through lines I've seen based off of, you know, what I saw and and the responsibilities that you have in in your role now. So,
2: yeah, it was honestly, the relationships were very helpful. This industry is all, for the most part, it's all who you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so people opening up the doors because they saw how hard I was working and the joy that, I don't know, it brought joy to my heart. And I wanted to just continue doing it because it was was fun. Like you're on T you're not on TV, but like you're making TV magic. Like you're really understanding what that phrase means with making TV magic. And it was just that excitement. So it was like, I'm going to do the best that I can to try to get more shows under my belt, to try to get more experience. And when I did start doing the production management route, like coordinating and all that kind of stuff that got me even more excited because I love things, the way things come together. Like, as far as organization and seeing how beautiful it can be and trying to like anticipate the needs of people. And I believe that other people saw that in me, which is why they continue to bring me on to other things. Um, And I think it helped that because my mom worked in radio and television, not getting like all, you know, fanatic when you're working with celebrities and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so i think that was something that people saw too because there, there are people on set who will just like freeze up like beyonce walked by you you're like oh my god it's beyonce oh my god let me try to <laughs> it's like no like look she's a human being you know very much so, <laughs>
0: so however i've I only been, like that with beyonce, <laughs> I think. I've been starstruck once in my life and uh-huh. i i didn't know what it was until it happened i met forever first lady michelle obama Oh yeah. We made eye contact and I everything that I thought I was going to say wiped clean from my yeah.
2: mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I-
1: yeah. I feel like there's still the exceptions. I feel like I'm trying to move in that direction though. Like I did mm-hmm. a A film festival, and I didn't get as starstruck as I thought I was going to amongst these huge, the Tarajis, the Morris Chestnuts, these people that I normally would have been freaking out, I feel like at one point about, and was able to still navigate and work through it, so hopefully I'm moving in that direction, Nicole, but Beyonce would still get me, I think. I think Beyonce would still be a moment. You know Definitely. what I'm saying? Yeah. There's no. still people who would be like, uh, I just got to have my little fangirl and then I can go on about my business. But what I love is it kind of sounds like you were able to navigate to a place where your passion kind of met purpose, right? Because you were going through all these different projects and really discovering what it was you loved about the industry. And then because of that, those doors, you know, continue to open for you because now you're living in that purpose.
2: Yeah, no, 100 percent, 100 percent. And it's it's interesting because a lot of people like I have friends now who are still, you know, looking for jobs all the time, that kind of thing. And I've gotten to a point where I mean, honestly, look, I was looking at my resume the other day and I was like, I have not stopped working since 2015 since Hotel Impossible. I have every month and as a freelancer, like that's wild. Mm. like every month of so what almost what 10 almost 10 years I've been working in this industry because I definitely started in 2013 to know that I've just had consistent work is just it's wild. It's tiring because that also means I really haven't had any kind of breaks but it, it's wild to me, but I've enjoyed it like through the ups and downs because it's a lot of ups and downs um, it's a lot of tears. it's a lot of long hours, especially working in production management. Um, where you're expected to be available 24 seven. Like even though like right now I just left my shoot. Yeah, well not left my shoot, I'm still here. It's supposed to be a dark day for us, but it's a dark day for the camera team and audio. And some of the producers have left, but me and my coordinator, we're still working today. I have a crew out right now, returning gear, returning vehicles. So I don't really get those, those dark days. And you're also expected in that to work seven days a week. You know, and that it's like, all right, so now we'll get to this a little, little bit later. But
1: <laughs> well, I was going to say in those cases, that's when you better yes. have a passion for it. Right. Because those will be the times to. that test you of like, did I,
2: is this, am I sure with mm-hmm. this level of
1: commitment? Am I you sure?
2: Gotta yeah. You got to learn to set the boundaries and just. Yeah. And it comes a lot, especially when you're traveling. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's tiresome. But to kind of wrap up my journey. So after Hotel Impossible, once I decided to make that move from New York to Los Angeles, um, they tried to keep me on like, and do it remotely. It worked for a little bit, but then I was like, no, I want to do something else. I continued to coordinate and find jobs in LA through networking from people in New York. A lot of it was reality TV. Then I randomly. Did a job for this company called the ATS Team, which is one of my favorite places to have ever worked, and it was to see a different side of the production industry. Um, it was a company that fabricated and designed obstacles for all, basically the reality competition shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and that totally changed my life, and it wow. was and it was more managing shows from the aspect of the art department, so to say. It were opened up doors for me to meet people like executives from big production companies, production companies that do the shows like Holy Moly, who do the shows like American Ninja Warrior, like all that kind of stuff, but also be able to meet the people who are in the wood shop, in the metal shop, doing all these things, the people who are behind their computers, engineers, all that kind of stuff, creating these things, testing them out. It It was a fascinating thing to do. From there, I went on to documentary work, which I also love documentary. It's probably my favorite to do, but I love documentary work. Those are also very hard to do sometimes, depending on what the content of the one I did for CNN. It was called The People V. The Klan. So sometimes when Mm -hmm. you film stuff, though, too, they don't name it what it's going to be named Is it because the name isn't available yet or? I think it's more of creative. Like they just haven't figured out what the name is. Some stuff they have the name, but I think it was more of a creative thing. Like we're not really sold on this being the name of the show or that kind of thing. But it ended up becoming called The People Versus The Klan. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was about a young man who was, I want to say was the last recorded lynching that had happened in the country. And it was in 19, I want to say 1985, 19, it was in 1980s, maybe 1989. But he was, I want to say like 17, 18, 19 in that area in his early, late teens. Um, he was walking down the street. His name was Michael, Michael McDonald. And two Klansmen pulled over, asked him some questions and then killed him, lynched him and left him hanging on a tree. Mm. And to have to go down to Alabama And talk to some of these people, people who were a part of the lynching, who were not locked up, to actually have to sit there and look in their faces, Mm. that kind of thing. It was, that was hard to hear stories of people who were lynched themselves or attempted lynchings, but the, the rope ended up slipping. It was, it was hard. And that was, that documentary also took place. We started that in 2020. We started that documentary we started filming, I want to say about two weeks before the world shut down.
1: Wow. Um,
2: yeah. Wow. Um, so that was a hard we were in Alabama. It was hard. Like there was a moment where my coordinator was in our in a van, because a lot of times we spend, especially on traveling shows, we're in vehicles just trying to be outside, outside of the way and a white woman pulled up next to her and mind you my coordinator's is white blonde blue-eyed person um this white woman pulls up next to her and she was like oh well what are you all doing she's like we're filming my coordinator says we're filming something and the lady is like okay well you know i used to live in california and that was the most black people i had seen and now i'm seeing all of it because we made sure we had a diverse crew as well but she was like it's the most black people i've seen in a long time it'd be nice like them to move on and just like get out of here i'm uh, shocked she said black i'm was, shocked too i know? was waiting
1: on you to throw I'm out saying. some other
2: verbiage and you know what i wasn't in the car with my coordinator because she definitely could have said something else but in the yeah, way yeah that's true my talking to another did, white
0: like, woman exactly. she easily exactly wow
2: and i've i've had moments where people have like called me colored like all that kind of stuff in in different cities i've driven i mean a lot of my shows that i've worked on and a lot of projects that I've worked on they have me traveling all over especially all over this country Mm -hmm. um like and and thankfully there have been multiple times where I haven't had to hear it like to my face but I work and have relationships with people where they're honest with me um and I don't care what their background is and I've had I've been on set where one of my media managers came up to me. And he was like, I don't want to say this to you, but one of the cast members' grandmothers was like, oh my God, I'm just looking for that sweet colored girl. da 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 da, da. And I'm like, I'm the only Black person on set a lot of times. So it was just like, well, we know who she's talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Or out shopping in like Kentucky and stuff with some of my crew members. And I'll never forget, I was at Home Depot and I was looking for something with my assistant camera. And I'm glad that he came with me to be honest with you, because I did not feel comfortable being where I was. And he heard some guys walking by us saying something about this nigger woman is here. And my assistant camera got so frustrated with it. He was like ready to fight these people. And I was like, let's not let them just do their thing. Let's get what we need to get. Shake the rage. I don't well, because at out. the
1: end of the day, too, that's why usually we do the check around to see if there are other black people, because if something pops off, who's going to yeah. help me? So it may be exactly. me and you, but we're not going to be able to take on any of the folks that may be in this store who want to start something. So it's a not, safety yeah. issue that we always have to evaluate Absolutely. and be mindful exactly. of. Exactly. But you stay safe out here, Nicole. These are additional just... challenges that <laughs> um, obviously we would face in these moments. That's
2: yeah. Yeah. Do I have mace? I don't. (laughs) I don't. I don't. I send you a
1: care package for safety.
2: When I'm upset, I try not to like a lot of people will go out and explore cities and that kind of stuff. If I'm in a city like Chicago or like Atlanta or places where I know people, then I'll be like, yeah, you know, let me go meet up with someone, have dinner, that kind of thing. But if I'm in like a small city or something like that, I'm like, "Mm," thankfully, like Postmates and stuff exists now. So if it's not something close to me where I can just go and get something, I'm going to just order it. Hopefully the hotel. It's so funny that you say that because
0: like I'm thinking like, well, your name is Nicole. Whereas for me, I'm like, I'll put in D or something like if I'm in an environment where I don't want them to be like, oh, this name. (laughs) That's
1: a good point. (laughs) That's, that's a good really point but
0: it's like this is what black people deal with in this yes. country yeah. yes and we're always gaslit like oh no I was like do you know your cousins <laughs> no <laughs> you listen know? <laughs> I there's still parts of Florida
1: that are near me that oh I God. don't ride through and I don't go through yeah. I just went to a baby shower just a side note went to a baby yeah. shower last weekend and it was one of my friends who lives out rural right so I'm rolling through cornfields when I get to her house I was like where did you have me like I yeah. am black I do not roll through cornfields no. and all this shit in Florida are you crazy like y'all trying to- <laughs> okay no thank
2: you, no, thank you. That's I don't funny trust too. this that's funny that you say that my girlfriend and I went her best friend got married in northern California and we drove up there and we're passing like all the cornfields cotton fields like all that kind of stuff and I'm just like I don't no, if this is the place <laughs>
1: this her, is not for me.
2: Even if she married her best friend is from Nigeria, but she married a white man that was from the area that they were in. And even being in the home of them, of um, cause they got married in the backyard in his parents' backyard, like walking up to the front door. They had like the police flag on there. Oh like, no! I was just like, no, oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'd be like, I feel like I heard somebody called somebody a nigger, and I was just like, we need to,
1: yeah, because I'd be know. like, y'all know that there's documentaries about this. Okay, there are exactly. documentaries
2: about this very exactly. situation. Yeah, I'm good. It does, and and I think the the one about the Klan really. So even. Even though we shut down because, you know, the world shut down, we picked that project back up within about three months. Mm -hmm. And instead of just being on the ground, I had to do it all remotely and through Zoom. So I had a crew in Chicago. I had a crew in the uh, in the East Coast that would just take care of like East Coast states and travel up and down and a crew in Alabama. And I would have to sit and watch these interviews that we continue. I mean, we continued on, but I have to sit there through Zoom and continue to watch the interviews, make sure everything got set up. And it was just like, and to know that that had happened in the eighties, like I was born in eighty five, right? Exactly, right. That could have that could have easily been one of my brothers, right, or cousins. And to know as well, like everything that was going on in the world during that time, with the George Floyd's, right like all of that, the Brianna Tate, like that was a hard one to do. That was a hard, hard one to do, especially during that time too.
1: Well, thank you so much for sharing that story and for sharing your journey with us. I wanted to move the conversation forward a little bit to the production company that you've founded, Size from Production (laughs) Management. Glad I love know. this name. So tell us a bit about <laughs> yes. it and what the transition has been like into founding your own business.
2: Yeah. So size from production management um, is fairly new. And my main focus on it right now is consulting um, and working with like independent projects and obviously like bigger projects on, you know, whatever it is they need production management wise, how I can help them, whether it's through budgeting, providing services for production management i'm trying to work towards rentals because that's something that i i feel like is a need in our area like there are big conglomerates that have it but when you go to small cities it's a lot harder to find those things um and i'm working to uh, uh, being able to create like the needed i won't say kits It's what i'll call it uh, for remote production because a lot of money i feel like personally is wasted when you're doing remote productions, like I'm here right now and in production management, anytime you go to a new city, you're basically starting up a business.
1: Mm. You're
2: starting it up and shutting it down within a week. You're hiring people, you're getting crew, you're getting gear, you're getting like all the logistics, the locations, your hotels, vehicles, all that kind of stuff. Um, And so everything I can do to make a complete production management remote kit that can be shipped somewhere because when you leave a location, either stuff is going to get thrown out or left. Maybe a production assistant might take it. I try to do my best when working with budgets to return things when I can. So I can try to get that money back and save the production some money. But I'm, I am I want to get to a point of being able to send those things out and getting them back. And people just like renting them and renting vehicles for me because it's a need um, in this industry. But yeah, right now the focus is consulting production management for like independent projects and, and bigger projects as they come along. Like helping get a crew up for someone so I can do the work for them and my team can do the work for them. To make well, that's awesome shopping. that's yeah.
1: awesome love to hear that so now you're taking your years of expertise and moving into consulting which i always say that's my future i hope i just want to yeah. be a <laughs> consultant <laughs> baby Set my
2: own a great hours place to be for yes. sure yeah i love it i love i love i love what i do i do
0: it's quite impressive because i I'm a supply chain management professional. So the logistics of what you have to do is like mind blowing. The fact that you do it in such a short period of time, (laughs) you know, like concentrated timeline is just completely fascinating to me. In addition to the budget work and the hiring. And so you're like a walking business, you know, CEO based off of your, (laughs) your, your project at that time. Seriously, that, those are some badass skills
2: (laughs) it's a lot to do and it's hard when people ask me like okay well what do you do what does a production management do and I'm like it's so many different facets and so many different hats that you have
0: like manager isn't even good enough like it doesn't carry the weight yeah yeah
1: production wizard that should be the new name production (laughs) wizard
2: yeah. And I, so I don't want to say a production can't happen without your production management team, but I mean, essentially the production management team is the liaison between everyone and everyone right. is coming to you for their every need. So if you don't have a production management team, production manager, coordinator, something, it's going to be a lot harder to get done what you need to get done because they take all of that away. Like, they anticipate your every need to make sure things run as smoothly as possible.
1: Anyone That's. who wants to utilize those services, how should they get in contact with you?
2: Um, so I'm working on launching my website. If it's not going to be launched next week, it'll be the week prior. But they can reach me through, at, at least right now, through Instagram at size from production management or through my email at size from production management at gmail.com. Thank you.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah no problem. So you've answered this question. Do you prefer competition shows versus documentary format? But I'm going to go ahead and ask you,
2: have you considered movies, films? I've thought about scripted. I have thought about scripted. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I've I've done it. I did one movie once. Um, and for me, I'm so used to the run and gun of like a reality or even a documentary from time to time. So I, I don't want to say I got bored, <laughs> but I'm just so used to be like, okay, what's needed? What's needed? Whereas when I was working on that movie, I was just like, okay, I'm here and I want to be able to help. But there are some things like I can't even touch when I'm working on a, a reality show or something. It's more, everyone's kind of helping out, you know? So it's the pacing. Is it the
1: pacing I a bit in the like pacing. the schedule?
2: Mm-hmm. I like the fast pace and maybe it's just because I'm used to it. Um, But I I like that fast paced, like, all right, it makes me think on my feet. Let me get it done real quick. Like that kind of thing.
0: So Ashley and I love a good fantasy sci-fi moment every once in a while. And I'm just thinking like, oh, what does a production manager have to do on a set of like Hunger Games or, you
2: know, Star Wars or something (laughs) or even The Little
0: Mermaid that would have to be really (laughs) wet, you know, always be (laughs) near a pool or a beach somewhere.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you got to get the pool. You got to make sure there's lifeguards that are there, yeah. the medics that are there. I don't know how deep the pool would have to be, but make sure it's all sealed up and all that kind of stuff. You have to make sure you have, if it's not a, if it's not a studio that already has the pool, you have to get a company like the ATS team to create that pool for mm. them, um, and test it out, all that kind of stuff. It's. Do it's you call Tyler Perry Studios? you said do i call <laughs> he might have a pole <laughs> i don't well, know what kind of forever they, in- they
0: they called him up was filmed on tyler perry's studio yeah. so i'm just you know throwing that out there in
1: yeah. this case the good thing about disney is you know you got the budget so because i'm sure budgets are a factor for everything you do oh, and some of the things it's like hey we don't we, we have to make what we have work so at least mm-hmm. with the, probably some of the bigger but bigger budgets and bigger projects it's like okay well at least I know I have the funding
2: you you would think <laughs> the budget well, tell is, me if I'm wrong never, tell me you'll never have enough I feel like you'll never have enough budget you'll never have enough budget and depending on the prize, I mean the camera department is always going to want more the lighting mm-hmm. department is always going to want more because they're like you know what I want to make this the best for you And I need to use these specific things to make it the best for you. Um, And it's like, well, that specific thing is not in our budget. Uh, And that's where like the production management team and the line producer um, and some producers just come in and they try to negotiate and figure out how can we make it work. Um, And if it does have to happen through that, you go back to the network and be like, look, we want to make this happen for you and we want you to be happy. We want to make sure our client is happy. This is what we need to do. We we need y'all to see if you can slice some more uh, dollars. <laughs> when, when
1: you're spending, how much did they spend on Last Fast and the Furious? Like $300 million or something?
2: That's wild.
1: Yeah. I That's was like, wild. so where, who, where does all that money go? Where does go? all that money go? Yeah.
2: I mean, a lot of it goes to the set design. A lot of it goes to your crew. Because mm-hmm. depending I don't know how much crew they had on there. But I mean, everybody's got to get paid everyone's got to get paid and you have crew that are making upwards to like 800 1200 1500 two thousand dollars a day
1: mm. and they did probably uh, did a lot of like cgi work on that CGI, one too
2: everything you got the post department everything but that's Word good to photo, know Hair and makeup uh catering getting the yes. food itself, paying the it's caterer. Give me
1: some good it's, catering, please. It is. Oh,
2: yes. Oh, my God. Don't have bad catering. You're <laughs> <going> to... <laughs>
1: but I just say that because I'm just thinking, like, I think as the public, like, we'll hear these large figures of budgets. And obviously, some of that goes to salary in terms of even the superstars who are on the project. But it's just like, where does all that rest of that money go?
2: It's a lot. I feel like a lot of it is people. It's people.
0: Yeah, the people. The people. One last question. Who do you report up to? The director, other producers, executive so,
2: producers? So my immediate boss is called a line producer. Um, mm. They're the ones who, well, if there's a line producer on the project, if there's not a line producer on the project, then the production manager is essentially like the line producer um, and working on the budget with one of the producers or executive producers so like on the project i'm on right now i have a line producer and then i have two executive producers that i work under so that's kind of the the line there above line producer at least in my world in production management world is like the like executive vice president, like that kind of thing Uh, Yeah, yeah (laughs) yeah that's the basically the road for me if i would can if i continue on in production management world it would be like line producer And then going into like VP executive role.
1: Cool. So of the projects you've worked on to date, such as being Mary Tyler Moore, House of Hammer, and you already mentioned Holy Moly, is there a favorite or an experience that sticks out for you?
2: I really enjoyed Holy Moly. That was a hard project, (laughs) but I did enjoy it. I think I enjoyed it more because prior to working Holy Moly as their production supervisor, I worked at the ATS team. So I did the production supervision for seasons three and four, but for season one, they reached out, the production reached out to the ATS team to actually fabricate the obstacles and help them build the obstacles, that kind of thing. And so I was able to work from a side of seeing how things were built up to then move maneuver to a side of seeing the production of it mm-hmm. and how the production came together with the art department and all those all those other folks and the producers and casting and everything and it was a lot of fun to to watch people do these crazy obstacles and challenges and it was fun that was fun I love holy moly between holy moly and just ATS as a whole I love the ATS team that was such a fun place to work, to be able to be on the side of American Ninja Warrior, watching people flip through all of the obstacles and all that kind of stuff and be able did to- Did you try it? Out. Did
0: you try the course? I. Source?
2: The only thing I tried was the warp wall. <laughs> that was the only thing because I did not trust myself enough <laughs> to not hurt myself. Um, yeah. And I mean, I know I had my people there who were helping with like safety and all that kind of stuff, but- um, yeah. No. i also ziplined off of a building in downtown LA. That was a lot of fun too.
1: Woo. Good that for you, a- girl. How, how high, how high up were you? I can't speak how, cause I'm afraid of heights. So just saying it out loud. <laughs> how high up were you?
2: I honestly do not know. It was very, very high. I will. And every time I pass this building now, I'm like, okay. Yep. I ziplined off of that. I <laughs> <laughs> off of that building, and it was literally just to test it out. It was before they actually brought on the people who were going to do the actual show. Did it because we had to test things out because they had to get make sure they had the perfect weight and all of that kind of stuff. Oh boy! Uh, so, which is also scary because it's like, well, what if something snapped? Well, that's on us to test it out. If it snaps, that's it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wow.
1: Oh, my God. I'm learning something really new. That would have been somebody else's job. What you mean? Y'all want me to go up there?
2: Yeah. I mean, I didn't have to. We have people who are testers and all that kind of stuff. But the project manager who I loved, I loved I loved all those people. But he was like, hey, he went over walking like, hey, ATS, if you all want to get an opportunity to (laughs) do this, come on.
1: Well, good for you, Nicole. New experiences, <laughs> trying it out, knowing yeah. what the contestants are going to go through. Good it for was you. That was
2: <laughs> That was interesting. But yeah, that was fun. That was a We
0: kind of touched upon it a little bit, talking about your career goals or at least the hierarchy of it. But I also want to know, what's one major lesson you've learned being a part of the industry? Setting
2: boundaries. You mm-hmm. have to set boundaries. For so long, I did not or I feel like I, yeah, I feel like I did not set my boundaries um, and the older, and I think it also comes with like the older you get and, yes. and like, you know, you've been doing this for so long. You're, you know how things typically go on set because for the most part, set is going to continually be the same no matter where you go. Um, but you have to learn to set boundaries, especially in production management because people expect you to be available 24 seven at their every beck and call. I promise you people traveling, and, you know, I hope this doesn't like, come against me for anything, but like when people travel with productions, it almost feels like people forget how to travel. Like they know how to travel when they're with their family. But when it comes time to travel for a shoot, no, they don't. They forget everything. They're like, how do I get to the airport? When- <laughs> what time do I need to be there? what do i need to do where am i going to go after this which whatever at the same time those are things that we need to have ready for them like we need to anticipate like this is a question they're going to ask they're going to ask me where where do i pick up my rental car this is where you're going to have to go you lay it all out but the thing is when you lay it all out in an the email they're not going to read it they're going to be like <laughs> okay this is what time my flight is but texting me. Okay. Where do I need to meet you here? Where do I meet to need to meet you there? Who's going to do this for me? Who's going to do that for me? Can you make sure this is happening? Or they're going to message you at two, three o'clock in the morning. Hey, I want to change my flight. Your flight is in like four hours and I'm sleeping. <laughs> so, wow, hey, It's a lot of, it's a lot of that last minute stuff. And uh, it's funny that you all asked that question because yesterday thinking about like the whole setting boundary things i was on the production office or my coordinator i want to say was saying that someone had texted him around two or three o'clock in the morning and he was like yeah my phone's always on and people are always like even if it's a lunch order like we asked you for your lunch order like 12 hours ago and you're texting why are you texting me at two three o'clock in the morning telling me what you want for lunch our call time is like nine like come on you don't have three o'clock in the morning that's not that's not necessary. That's not necessary. And I was like, well, you know what? I keep my phone on on silent. I don't put it on do not disturb unless I absolutely have to. But I keep period. it on silent, period. Yes. Especially if I'm sleeping.
0: Yes. Because I also
2: get anxiety from my phone it's continually going off. When exactly. you're on going off, going off, going off. So exactly. it's feeling to hear that. And it's going off beyond just what people need on set. Because then like your family, your friends, they're trying to get a hold of you. And they're trying to see just how you're doing, that kind of thing. My parents learned a great lesson on what I do for work because it's always hard to explain it. But when I was doing that documentary on the on um, the KKK, I ended up being at home because the world had shut down. So I came home to oh, Michigan Yeah. and when we came back up, I had to work out of the room that I grew up in. And I did that for another three months. And my dad would come home from work just like tapping on because I would be locked in the room the whole entire day because you're not working um, less than 12 hours and in production management you're likely not going to be working less than maybe 15 and my dad would just like tap on the door and just be like I just want to make sure you're okay or my mom would be like I, I made you some food I'm just gonna okay. slide it on your bed like if you want to eat it eat it if you have time if not I totally understand and we'll just close the door I cry when that one was over I cry when a lot of the shows are over um just because it takes up so much of my time and trying to set boundaries and have kind of like work-life balance can be a little difficult. So I feel like setting boundaries is one of the biggest things that I've learned in working in this industry. Because yes, I know I need to be available for people, but I also need to be available for myself. Absolutely.
1: Um,
2: I need to be like, look, if it's not done right now, I can't help. I cannot help you between midnight and 5 a.m nothing is open, like none of that, none of that kind of stuff. No, no vendor is open and available right now. I can't, exactly. only so much I can do once businesses shut down for the day. If it's in the, like, if it's something where I have to update a budget or something like that, maybe, but even then, like, how is that helping you at three o'clock in the morning? Cause it ain't, it damn sure ain't helping me.
1: This whole time you're talking, I'm just thinking about that episode of Atlanta where mm-hmm. Donald Glover gets that text from his cousin saying, I want some chicken wings. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> it was like 3 or 4 a.m. Yes. And it was like such a specific request. And he yeah. was like sick and he wasn't feeling good. And it was just this idea of like, are you kidding me right now? Like, I literally just laid my head down and yeah. this is the texture sending me. That's just what I kept thinking about. So,
2: all the time. Those are the kinds of messages I will get those kinds of messages, or people will walk into the production office and be like, I want some lemon lime. I don't know, LaCroix and just walk out and be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have it. You gotta have it for them. <laughs> or Talon is like, I want a microwave in my room in an hour. All right. Well, we're in the middle of the swamps. Let me figure out, you know, what I can do and try to get it. You know, it's yeah. You're you're basically in production management, it's like you're. You're basically, I don't want to say like a mom, but basically like you're, it's like your children are coming to you, asking you for the things that they need because they feel like they can't get it. And to be honest, like as production management, we have more, I mean, we have our assistants that are able to go and get these things. Like if you're a camera operator or audio person, you're not able to leave set. You're there. You're holding your camera all day, watching the audio, monitoring, all of that kind of stuff. So no, y'all can't leave. So we are going to do what we can to make sure everyone on set is, you know, happy. Because if you have bad morale on set like that, it's just, you don't want a toxic set because that just makes things worse.
1: Yeah. Makes everybody miserable. This is a great segue though, because the next question was, what do you find most challenging in your career and what do you find most rewarding? So is it, is it setting boundaries? Is that the most challenging or is there something else you'd be like, actually?
2: Um, setting boundaries is challenging and navigating egos. Okay. Okay navigating it because it's a lot of personalities that you have to deal with I mean then, like, requesting
0: a microwave within an hour is <laughs> like it's like they gotta heat up are a you burrito to like... stroke your own ego at this point <laughs> at least oh, we have at catering. the end of the day too, right. So well, what's the so point?
2: Something, some shows don't have catering. So like when I'm doing reality shows, mm-hmm. they mostly don't have catering. We can get we go and send our production assistants to go and get a bunch of craft service. So they go to different grocery stores and stuff. And you try to get to a point, especially if you're working with a crew that is like the same crew. So you're traveling like right now. I'm working with a crew. We all travel. Um, except for our production assistants. And so we start to learn like what people like to eat or you also have to learn like pe- what are people's dietary restrictions to mm, someone, you true. know, are allergic to things like that kind of stuff. Um, and so you try to have the things that people enjoy eating and can just snack on really quickly. And then you also have to focus on like with these kinds of like traveling shows, you have to make sure you're getting the lunch orders and all that kind of stuff. So you're finding restaurants and those kinds of things. That microwave thing is when like someone like a host, for example, is trying to do something for their dietary needs. And hopefully they'll say that prior to being out in the field. Hopefully they'll give like a writer or something and say like, Hey, this is what I need. And I'm going to need to warm something up. It can be a hassle to try to, you know, travel with what four minivans to try to have space to hold for a microwave and wherever we are, wherever we land, if this person is like, I need to warm up this, and trying to find somewhere to, you know, hook up this microwave or something. Like it could be a challenge, but you try to make sure everyone is is happy. and okay. You, want, you want mm-hmm. your shoot to be go well. And what about mm-hmm. the most rewarding? The most rewarding for me is seeing everything come together in the end. Seeing especially when it's like home makeover shows or something like that, seeing how we can help someone feel better to bring joy into their life. When I was working on Hotel Impossible, we used to go into hotels um, and usually mom and pop hotels. We wouldn't go into like big main um, type hotels, but we would go in there, renovate some space. We would go in there and help them with their finances and try to help help them make more money um, as the years progressed on, try to bring them... I don't know, we would try to like link them up with different things that would happen in the city. So like when people would come and stay at their hotel, they could maybe like do a water boat ride or something like that, you know? Well, like
1: experiences. Like, yeah, like
2: different types of experience. Yeah. And the joy that it would bring to people's faces, the people who own these locations and their families just to be like, oh my God, like we don't have to close down. Like there is there is some possibility that we can remain you know, remain doing what we're doing. And I don't know, just seeing that joy in people's faces and also seeing like the joy in people's faces when they're talking about the types of shows that they like to know that I made some type of impact in bringing joy to people's faces when the world shuts down and all all you're able to do is watch television and to try to escape in some way, to laugh at something on TV, to know that me and my team help be able to do that. Like, nobody would have been able to get through the pandemic without the work of television and entertainment professionals. Absolutely. TV and TV and like even down to news. Like, that's how we got all the information. And y'all can't do that without the entertainment industry.
0: Not at all. Absolutely. I mean, we started our podcast
2: in yes. the middle yes. of the pandemic. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Because we
0: were yeah, watching so, so much
2: weird. TV. We're
0: like, you want to talk about it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and for me, I realized, like, I started living through these moments in these characters. Somebody would tell me something about mm-hmm. something that's going on in their life. And i am be like, you know what? I was just watching a show when X, Y, and Z, like, because I wasn't getting out. Experiences, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything became, you know what I just saw? You know what just happened in this show? So it literally became like that lifeline to still feel like you're living life, like traveling. Really? Like one of my favorite things I watched during the pandemic was the one movie I can't think of the name of right now, but the actress, I think she was either nominator, she won the Academy Award, but it was like, she was out traveling in like an RV and really? that just, made my day because was
0: it called like um, nomad or something like that? It, it was
1: it was something it was something similar. But she had like left yeah. her town, got this RV, was traveling, all this stuff, and it just made me feel like I was escaping, right? It yeah. made me feel like I was going out and traveling through America and still getting that level of escapism yeah. that I needed. So absolutely me and Dolora of yeah. anybody appreciate all the work that you guys did <laughs> absolutely. during the pandemic. Could not 1, have lived without percent. it
2: Yeah, yeah, that was wild. It was wild to transition from being on set to doing things remotely. Like, the TV industry had to make such a change to be able to film things during the pandemic. Because we didn't, like, we stopped down for a second, but we had to get things going back again. Because a lot of the stuff that was being filmed then is, like, airing now, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, I experienced that on a small scale working in broadcast television at the time and them trying yeah. to figure out how news anchors were going to report from their homes and all this stuff yeah. that had obviously never been done before. Exactly. So it was definitely an experience, but for you guys to do a whole product, like literally create content to that degree remotely yeah. is insane.
2: It was it was wild. Even trying to do location scouting. Yeah. Like, I would have to hire a PA and be like, hey, here's some of the locations we want to look at. Put me on Zoom, make sure the Wi-Fi is working, make sure there's parking, make sure there's places to eat around, all that kind of stuff. It was just like, it was wild. It was, yeah. it was an experience. It was life, experience.
1: you know, just it life life, life-ing.
2: life. It was the, exactly life life yeah.
0: So speaking to the industry and the impact it has on everyday people like ourselves, the Writers Guild of America, mm. as well as SAG, mm. are on strike. Yes, they okay. are. What are your thoughts on it? How are you impacted by it? We'd love to pick your brain on this.
2: Yeah. So because I work in reality, we're not unionized. And it puts me in a very difficult position, to be honest, because I support, I support the strikes. I support them with all my heart. Yes. So the project I'm working on right now, and I won't name it, but the project I'm working on right now, like we have SAG hosts and... Like we're filming all week and it was like, okay, we know that they're going to make a decision on what on whether or not they were going they're going to continue with the strike or not. And so like yesterday, we wake up and we're like, okay, so are we going to be able to shoot or are we not? And I'm going to support my host no matter what. And I know that had to be a hard decision for them as well. We did shoot, but I know when I get back to Los Angeles, I'm going to be at the picket lines. The industry is really showing themselves right now. Yes, they are really showing themselves and the comments that they're making and all that kind of stuff
1: like Bob Iger.
2: Oh, my gosh. Listen, it's really showing what this industry is like, like we're all replaceable. We are all replaceable to them and they are going to milk that as much as they can, because they're like, you know what, if you're not going to do it, someone else will come and do it. And the fact that I don't think it was Bob who said it, but someone else. Who's just saying like you know we'll just let the writers keep going until they need to you know right pay a bill and they really struggling hurtless is really the way people are on these sets saying mm. that people mm. it's like they don't care it's like they don't care I mean in non-union it's not affecting my work as far as like us having to stop down I will say that but Um, I think personally, it's, it's kind of affecting my morale. I want everyone to get what they are worth and get valued. They're all needed. They're all, I'm ready to stop all my subscriptions down. I'm ready to, and I'm hoping that some type of agreement can come with everyone and this can stop down because people need to work. People need to work. And in a minute, y'all not like, we're not going to have nothing to watch on TV, but reality shows and everyone's not into reality.
1: You were talking about stopping your subscriptions. Are you meaning to the different streaming services? Do you feel like that's something that consumers could be who are in solidarity with the strike contributing is to remove our dollars from the equation by no longer supporting these streamers?
2: I feel like that's something that that could be helpful. And I think me even more so wanting to get down on picking lines is to be able to talk firsthand with the people who it's affecting like right immediately and see what their perspective is because someone else was asking me a question of like you know well what can people do who want to help support um in Mm -hmm. some ways and I don't have like those kinds of answers and I want to like someone asked me as I was flying out like hey I'm going to the picket lines tomorrow do you want to come with me but I was like I do but unfortunately I'm I'm out of town and I can't but as of right now, I feel like, yeah, stopping down subscriptions could help, but to so many billions of people in the world, it's like, is that even going to make a dent? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the whole world, I feel like would have to to just be like, I'm done with that. It, it saddens me that this that this is happening because it is affecting like my friends and writers, actors, all of that. And I wish it it did not have to come to what it has come to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about self-care. Because we've talked about, you know, (laughs) not just the strike, but also the conditions you've had to work under in certain capacities with, you know, the documentaries you've worked on with you having to set your boundaries. So how do you maintain your mental and physical health in the midst of your work
2: life? I will say this every Sunday. And I tell this to every production that I work on every Sunday, I play kickball. And that has been such. I love that. <laughs> it's amazing oh. and release in my in my um young age I'll say oh yes <laughs> yes your young age absolutely in my big old age that is something that is really that really has helped me um with self-care um and that helped me with setting boundaries because I fell in love with doing that so much I started to tell productions like okay I'm down to do things but no that especially if we're filming in the city, like I'm not available on Sundays. I'm not available on Sundays. I'm not always going to be able to be there, which is also something that has helped me. I try not to do productions that are going to work on the weekends now. And I'm going to like, I'm to a point in my career where I can be like, I mean, unless it has to happen, like whatever, but kickball, practicing on Wednesdays, Trying to do things with my girlfriend, whether it's like going to amusement parks, like that kind of stuff, spending time with her family. Her friend, she's based out of California, like she's born and raised in California. So we spend time with her family. Just trying to go on trips uh, when I can. And a lot of times it can only be a weekend thing. It's been hard for me to take long extended vacations. I'm a freelancer, so that's not always available. What else do I do for self-care? especially I
0: with the long hours
2: like how's your sleep non-existent <laughs> non-existent I will say on this show we've been able to kind of condense our not condense our days but we don't have to work as long or I try to do what I can as far as like writing up the um the call sheets as early as I can To get them approved so as soon as the day is over i can just send them out so learning to do that and to be able to get all the work that we need to get done again it's just it's always an anticipation anticipating what is needed for the next couple of days the faster i can do that the more free time i guess you could say that i'll have later in the day like when i am on a shoot unless like it was a day like yesterday it was our last day of shooting we finished shooting around like six o'clock but then we still had to because we travel so we're traveling to another city the team is you have to wrap everything out like you got to close the business down and so something like that where i was able to maybe be available after nine 9 p.m. But I was still able to spend some time with some of the producers who were leaving. I have a membership at the Soho House, which is helpful for me because in L.A. I can just go there if I just need to get some self-care and sit on the rooftop and just relax, even if it's for an hour, read a book like that thing. I'm able to do that. You're not really supposed to be on your phones and stuff when you're when you're there. So my phone's on silent. Do not disturb. Like, you know, you got to shut the phone off sometimes. Other than that, I just, I love sitting in my house. I watch TV with my girlfriend. I, to be honest with you, I know I work in the industry, but I don't know if it's just like triggering or trauma to watch some things. I didn't, I, for the longest time, I did not watch TV. I didn't watch reality Mm -hmm. shows. I didn't, because it also, every time I watch something, I don't care if it's a movie, TV show, but a commercial in my mind, I'm not watching what is on there. I'm thinking, what did it take to get this location? Mm -hmm. How many times did they have to shoot this? How many people were on set? Like, I'm thinking all of this kind of stuff when I'm watching something, Um, especially with reality shows. Those are really triggering for me. So it was hard for me to just sit and watch TV, but my girlfriend loves Loves cinema and all that kind of stuff, loves black cinema. Um, and so she's always watching TV and all this kind of stuff. Right now, she's watching SWAT. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> all right, let's just sit and watch SWAT. But it's relaxing because I am sitting there with her, and I'll be able to talk about the things that I'm thinking of when it comes down to it. And she doesn't like get necessarily offended by it. But a lot of people, when I start talking about those kinds of like production-related things and logistics and all that kind of stuff, they're like, you are ruining the show for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm so like, funny. My oh, camera wasn't that for, that focused. They need to chase that lens. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, but you can't it's take so me funny. out of
0: work. This is what <laughs> I do. Exactly. You remember Michael Estime? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. He's my BFF, still my BFF today. Oh my God, yeah so he's he's on tv doing meteorology but he's the one that he's like yeah i can't watch shows when the voice isn't synced up appropriately oh and he's like oh yeah that happens all the time and i am like me i'm like what do you mean i've never noticed that and then as soon no. as he said it i'm like oh <gasps> this isn't synced
2: TV. oh my god <laughs> that's hard it's hard to watch those that aren't with the, oh my gosh where isn't that synced up that's difficult that is difficult yeah it's a lot that's a yeah I was watching commercials the other day just commercials between a show and I was just like how how can I do this I need to turn the tv off because I'm getting I'm starting to get frustrated with things mm-hmm. I'm starting to get frustrated um, I mean
1: it's good to have those outlets like I love that you mentioned kickball as a great outlet and stress reliever, right? Because it's probably like harkens back to childhood a little bit. It gives you a great physical like outlet and release. And to your point, it also just establishes something that like, this is me time. This mm-hmm. is my thing that I'm going to go spend time doing by myself. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It gives me that peace that I need. So I love exactly.
2: that. Yeah, And you get to, and I've gotten to meet so many different people and from all different aspects of life versus just people who are in the industry because a lot of the spaces I'm in is industry people. Yeah. Like, oh, let me meet some lawyers. Let me meet some other real estate agents, like all that kind of stuff. Um, other than that, I also, I didn't bring it this time, but I usually bring a Nintendo, my Nintendo switch with me and I hook it up to the nice. hotel television. So if I am stuck in my room, I can just like play clue or play, you know, Mario Kart or something like that.
1: Now we talk out. about a big entertainment industry gaming
2: oh my gosh gaming is huge be big gigantic yeah, gigantic such a respect for the artists that do like gaming and like virtual reality and i was i got an opportunity to be a previous coordinator for one of the first vr movies um Ooh. it was yeah and it was like it was one where you could like choose your journey really really it was really it was for a company called third floor inc and it had some really big names behind it it was pretty cool i g- and i gained such a uh, respect for the artists that do because you don't it's a, it's something else where i walked into like i didn't even think about the things that go into to make this kind of project from drawing the the characters to even just putting the little things in the background like all the books and stuff that are behind you door like they have to physically each and every single one of them put that stuff in there for each and every frame. And it's just like, you don't think about those things when you're watching it.
1: Yep. Yep. The appreciation for the artistry of everything.
2: Exactly. Exactly. What goals do you have for your
0: business in the future? Are you looking for accolades? Are you looking for more time off? (laughs) Is there a production company that you currently look towards as the standard
2: Honestly, my goal for my production company in the future is to is for it to kind of be like a side thing. I want to secure generational wealth for my family, and I love doing what I do in the industry, but I'm also ready to branch out into new facets of business. Yeah, that for me would is my main career goal like as a whole. A lot of my friends talk to me about being an executive at a network. Easy. While still having like my my uh my business on the side, um, and it's something that I've been contemplating on doing. Someone, and actually- what I I
0: want to clarify, you hone all those skills to be an executive. <laughs> okay, that is what I'm saying. Like, oh, that's an easy s- step. It, it, yeah. Next step.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. But I'm also like. I've done this for a really, really long time and I've enjoyed it, but I'm also getting to a point where I'm kind of ready to retire from it. My body's tired. I want to be able to have more free time for myself. Um, It's always going to be, I mean, I feel like it's always going to be a grind 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 mentality because I am a freelancer. And I know a lot of things, I have gotten to a point where I don't necessarily have to like go and look for work. Like people will call me and I've been able to like turn down things. Someone reached out to me yesterday about something. They are like, Hey, I saw your, your work, you were recommended by someone would love to work with you on this, but you know, I really have to take into consideration, like, when am I going to have that time for me? Mm-hmm. And so I want to see my business thrive, but I also want to see it be something that isn't necessarily in the forefront for me. You're
1: going to be a hands-off business owner where it is running itself. Exactly. Multiple
2: exactly. streams of income. Yes. We Come get on, somebody. Come yes. on. And I and I definitely want to do multiple streams that just aren't focused on the entertainment industry because I don't I don't want to be stuck in the one little bubble. I want to be able to be expansive.
0: Yeah. Diversify that
1: portfolio. Right. I see Issa Rae dreams and ambitions <laughs> yes. in this conversation i nice. just saw the video with the barbie cast of damaskan so who amongst the cast owns a coffee shop they were like oh i know this answer it's isa i watched her master class it's isa
2: <laughs> that's hilltop <laughs> love hilltop <laughs> yeah so, i
1: mean oh you've
0: been oh, yeah. okay. oh
2: yeah,
1: okay i mean you got the what four so locations
0: you
2: gotta go <laughs> you gotta go and tell me
0: about
1: it absolutely i mean they have tea right because i'm not huge i mean i'll, I'll drink coffee for isa but i prefer
2: tea <laughs> i honestly i don't drink coffee either so yeah i'm gonna, like give me a chai tea or just like a mint give tea me a muffin yeah exactly yeah yeah um i actually I, I had locks uh, earlier this year, and there was a place that I would get my hair like maintained, and it actually was across the street from Hilltop. Um, so I've been over there a couple of times. Very before. nice.
1: Very yeah. nice. What advice do you have for those who are listening and hope to follow your path?
2: Set boundaries early, PA like crazy, so that your face is out there, um, so that you're learning as much as you can. Even if you get to a point where you become a coordinator from PA, um, especially like if your role is production management. If there's a time where you have some some time between work, if you can find a PA gig for a couple of days, do it. Don't ever feel like you're in a position to never be a PA, because that is where you're going to learn the most in this industry. That is where you're going to be able to network the most. In this industry, um, because you have access to so many different people, that's one of the biggest things. And and setting boundaries and making sure you're able to focus on having a good work life balance, because it will drive you crazy <laughs> if you don't. Um, and don't feel discouraged if projects aren't coming as quickly as you would like. Don't feel discouraged. That I mean, that is the industry. That's the industry. Um, so projects aren't going to come all the time. um, But don't feel discouraged by it and just continue to press forward and move forward and don't feel like you have to get. A lot of people are like, oh, I want to do this, but I don't want to work for this rate. And sometimes working for a lower rate on a project where someone is really passionate about it and you can see that passion in it um, can help propel you somewhere else.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, Not to say you know, do things for free, you know, know your value for sure. Yes. But sometimes some projects, like if you, if you see the passion in it and, and you believe in it, don't feel like you have to let it pass up.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, for your experience. <laughs> we definitely appreciate it and definitely wishing you the best of luck in this journey that I feel like this transition that you're about to go through to you know living your best life and having more free time and
0: flexibility exactly (laughs) I want you you on a beach somewhere very soon (laughs) bro. I want me on a beach too
2: I want me on a beach oh and I I did also want to say being Mary Tyler where I know you had mentioned it which was an awesome project to work on I I got to meet Felicia Rashad on that one um just uh it was nominated for an Emmy so I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud. of that. that was a goal of mine was to get an Emmy. I know I can't get the Emmy, even though I'm a part of the Academy, because I'm a production manager, which is very unfortunate. Hmm. But um, yeah, girl. Uh, but I am very happy to know that it has been nominated. We put a lot of hard work in that project. And-
1: well, congratulations yeah. on the the efforts Congrats. for sure. Yes.
2: Thank you. Thank I you. I didn't all.
1: know that. I didn't realize or think about who got those actual statues.
2: Yeah, I'm a It's it's weird to me because I am a part of the academy. Like I was able to put votes in um, under my group, but to read and know, like I'm not able to actually win it. They're like people who do the logistics or something like that. Is what I was reading. You can't win the Emmy.
1: Well, we know. It, we know we
2: exactly, know.
1: exactly. And maybe that's something else that they need to be changing because still got work to do in many of these award it's- shows
2: it's a lot of work to do within this industry, to be honest, a lot of work and a lot of respect that needs to, to happen in this industry. So yeah, thank you all for having me. I really appreciate it. And I wish you all much, much success on, on your podcast. Um, thank you. What thank heard you. So far has been awesome. So looking forward to seeing how far this goes for you. Thank
1: you so much, Nicole. Thank you so much.